Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to the analysis.news. Uh, in a few seconds, we'll be talking about the IPCC report on climate change. And it's even more alarming than previous reports, although not as alarming as a lot of scientists think it should be. Uh, please don't forget, there's a donate button, subscribe and share. Uh, most important, get to our website and get on our email list. Uh, we never know if you're watching on YouTube or some of the other platforms, uh, whether what we're doing might be suppressed because it already has been more than once on YouTube. The safest thing, at least for now, is get on the email list. Uh, back in a few seconds to talk about the uh, coming or coming soon, uh, apocalyptic, catastrophic, uh, all the words about the climate crisis. Lost, of course, in all the reporting on the crisis or conflict in Ukraine uh, was the IPCC report released on February 28th, which was, as I said a few seconds ago, even more alarming than previously alarming reports. One of the most important things to come out of this report is uh, nothing new, but it doesn't often break through in terms of mainstream media coverage, is that even if we're successful at stabilizing climate at 1.5, and I say that knowing that we're not going to, there is no reason to think the way the world's headed, we will stabilize at 1.5. But even if we did, or even if we stabilized at two, somehow that's okay. Well, it's not. And from this report and other research, it's clear 1.5 is already significantly worse in terms of extreme climate events than where we are now. Uh, we're only at about 1, 2, 1, 3 now. We're, we're quickly getting towards 1, 5, and already we're seeing extreme weather. Uh, by 2, much of the world is already in severe crisis. And the truth is, we're on our way to 3 and 4. Uh, now, I understand why the Ukraine conflict uh, swamped this story. But there is no question this story is more important than the Ukraine story, because as threatening as Ukraine is, short of nuclear war, it isn't doomsday. Of course, there are doomsday machines in Russia and the United States. So, so the nuclear uh, threat is, is very serious in terms of the Ukraine conflict. But the climate threat is absolute. It's happening. We're in it. And uh, we're heading more and more quickly into very, very dangerous waters. So even though we spent all week on the Ukraine crisis, there's no way we could let this week end, uh, even though it's Friday and we're probably going to publish this on the weekend or Monday. But that said, uh, we need to talk about this IPCC report. And so now joining us to do exactly that is Peter Carter. He's a retired family physician. He practiced medicine in England, then on in Canada, but he's for many years been very focused on the climate crisis. He's the founding director of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, more recently a founder of Climate Emergency Institute. And as I said, Peter's been following uh, global warming, climate change research since 1988. Uh, he was also an expert reviewer for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, fifth climate assessment in 2014 and the IPCC's 2018 special report. 
Uh, also in 2018, Peter published a book, Unprecedented Crime, Climate Science Denial and Game Changers for Survival, which he co-authored with Elizabeth Woodworth. Thanks very much for joining us, Peter. Thank you, Paul. Good to be with you. All right. So, so we've asked you to help us understand what's in the report. So if you could, first of all, you know, review the highlights and you know, add your own commentary as we go. And, and as we go, we'll talk more about it. Um, but you've been focused on this issue for some time about 1.5 is not safe, uh, which also seems to be one of the highlights of this report. But over to you. So um, uh, thanks for reminding me about the uh, our climate unprecedented climate crime book, which reminds me that our UN Secretary General, in fact, when he um, gave his presentation on this is the sixth IPCC assessment working group two, which is on the impacts. He stated that, and I'm very much in agreement with him on this, that the inaction now has reached the level of a crime. Um, and it definitely, definitely has. Now, this report is very, very different to previous reports in two ways. The content is um, very, very different. And so is language. Um, as you've already indicated, Paul, um, we have now switched to th things that might happen or risks that might happen to a litany of scientific uh, evidence and research findings of what is happening. So that's a, that's a huge, huge difference. Also, um, uh, with regards to the language, um, uh, this report is really unprecedented because the chair of the IPCC, Hoseng Lee, at the uh, press conference, he described the Working Group 2 report as a dire warning of the consequences of inaction. Um, no IPC scientist or certainly no IPC chair has never, ever said anything even approaching that. A dire warning of what's going to happen to us with continued inaction. And um, he said that uh, it shows, the report shows, and it certainly does, the climate change is a grave and mounting threat to our well being and to the planet. So there's more in the press release which I can share. It's a powerful press release as well. The scientific evidence is unequivocal, now unequivocal that climate change is threatening our total human population well-being and, and the planet. So that is into this report. And the shorter version of the scientific report called the Summary for Policymakers. And get this, any, I'm quoting, any further delay in concerted global action will miss a brief and rapidly closing window to secure a livable future. So this fits with uh, what the chair, Dr. Lee, um, stated in the uh, COP26, the um, Glasgow Climate Conference, and in fact, what he stated in the uh, Madrid Conference um, in uh, 2019, 20, anyway. Um, uh, emissions have to, a decline immediately. And this immediately is in this impacts report. So it was in the working group one science report that emissions had to go down immediately. 
and it's in the impacts report that, w- that emissions have to go down immediately. So this is the absolute bottom line. If this happens, and this is what this report says, um, and the press conference says, if this doesn't happen, um, we've done ourselves in. Um, we really are done for. Um, they gave the, uh, I totally agree with you, 1.5 uh, degrees C is absolutely totally out of the window. I mean, trying to get that across. Um, uh, and it's absolutely, um, it's absolutely ridiculous and um, an insult to science uh, for scientists, let alone policymakers, to say, or let alone say, given the impression of we can still limit to 1.5 degrees C. We cannot. And we will be there by 2030. Uh, James Hansen, who puts, still puts out regular scientific briefs, um, says that um, uh, 1.53 is uh, BS and that we will be hard put to limit to two degrees C. And two degrees C, really we've always known, two degrees C is the end of the world, literally is. Um, We have the two degrees C limit from the mid nineties and right up to uh, the 1.5 degrees C 2018 report, when um, uh, people really, really, um, uh, the scientists completely focused on the 1.5 degrees C limit. And of course, that was introduced eventually in the uh, Paris um, Agreement of 2015. So uh, more quotes from this. um, It's an awful report. I mean, it's absolutely awful. Uh, People's health and livelihoods, property, critical infrastructure, energy, um, transportation systems, they are all now being adversely impacted by the heat waves, the storms, and the drought, and the flooding. And that is going to get very, very much worse. Even when we get to 1.5 degrees C, we are then on a different planet. 1.5 degrees C, we enter a totally disastrous, degraded planet Earth. It will be- well, what's, what, what does U.S. and Canada look like at 1.5? Well, um, U.S. and Canada are losing, even Canada, their um, uh, most. Bad- Which is where you are. You're, you're, in, you're off in Victoria yeah. and you're yeah. in Canada. But uh, the answer to your question is heat waves and drought. Um, we experienced a very, very nasty taste of that very recently. And um, uh, um, the heat waves and the drought to the entire western third of the United States is going to get worse. The forest fires, which have ravaged the west coast there, they are going to get worse. And not just worse, they're going to get worse by multiples. That's what this report says. And um, we, of course, are a a big breadbasket for the world region, the grains that we grow in the United States and up into Canada, um, in the words of UN Secretary General, that's gonna be clobbered. Um, this uh, Working Group 2 report has the uh, research um, uh, and stressed it that at 1.5 degrees C, we will have multiple breadbasket failures in the world. So we are looking at devastating 
lot. I think I interviewed one of the climate scientists that worked on the last IPCC report. I think he, he, he was a lead on one of the chapters, last report. He was an author of this report. He was saying at two degrees, most of the agriculture in the middle of America, which is where most of it is, is essentially gone. That's right. That's what this report has. It's gone. Two degrees C is an end of the world um, temperature increase. Well, the end end of human society as we know it. I, I mean, the, well, there'll uh, still be some uh, life. Um, it's not it's not like nuclear winter. There'll still be some life, for, but there won't. What there will be is millions and millions of people that live in the south having to get north. I'm going to disagree with you there. Um, it, oh, it, yeah? it is the end of the world. It's way worse than nuclear winter. Um, nuclear winter. Two degrees. Two degrees. Two degrees. Two degrees, because two degrees has always been known as the tipping point of all right. tipping points, right? And it's in here, it's in the science. At two degrees C, we trigger eight, nine, ten powerful sources of amplifying feedback tipping points. And for the right. first time, or in the strongest manner, uh, that's in this report. Um, amplifying feedbacks and the consequences of current and future global warming, current and future. This report says that these feedbacks are already operating and they're going to get worse. And the point there is once you get to two, you actually can't stop it from getting Absolutely. to three. Like the, tip, the tipping point is such that you, and, I, and I, from the last interview I did with this climate scientist, uh, it's not like there's an incremental uh, amount of uh, climate, extreme climate events between two and three. It's at least a doubling, if not a tripling, between two and three. Oh, yeah. But um, very few people are going to see three and nobody's going to see four. So j just listen to this from this uh, IPCC report. In high carbon ecosystems, and that's you know, where all the um, carbon feedbacks come from, of course, um, these impacts, these feedback impacts have already been observed and are projected to increase with every additional increment of global warming. This is the absolute most important thing in this working group to report. The examples it gives that are going to happen are increased wildfires, mass mortality of trees, carbon, 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 right? drying of peatlands, huge amount of carbon in the peatlands, both subarctic and tropical. We're talking massive amounts of carbon here. And thawing of the permafrost. They have that in. And the permafrost already is emitting all three big greenhouse gases. It's emitting methane, as we all feared decades ago it would. It's emitting way more carbon dioxide than anybody anticipated, a lot of CO2. It's also emitting a lot of nitrous oxide. So this was in the science of the famous Hot House Earth paper that came out in 2018. And they had all these tipping points and they said in the paper, if we're not there already, if we don't respond to this emergency, we are we are all, we are going to be there for sure. And I mean, I studied the paper closely 
and every single one of those tipping points, and they include actually a tipping point I, I wasn't aware of, and they also include the as the major tipping point, the biggest one, um, uh, the failure of our land carbon sink, right? Because we're absorbing at least thirty percent from by the forests of the carbon that we're emitting. Used to be thought to be twenty-five percent, but it's more even than that. And um, the Amazon, of course, is tipping. The Amazon is emitting more carbon now than it's absorbing, and you can see this dramatically on the uh, on the satellites. The Europeans have been developing for years a great great uh, satellite uh, um, resource, which is able to get the emissions down to the surface. So you can see where they're coming. All year round, the Amazon is pouring out CO2. All year round. So um, we are afraid. There's, a, just a, there's another piece which I learned in this interview previously, which is as these predictions on the timeline, you know, 1.5 by 2030, 2 by 2050, to some extent, these estimations are uh, artificial because there are unknowns within it. And one of the big unknowns uh, he was talking about uh, was that the ability of the oceans to absorb carbon. There are several things happening with the oceans that could dramatically change their ability to uh, wash away a certain amount of carbon. And if that happens, all these predictions go out the window. It could all happen much sooner than we're thinking. Um, well, it's, well, one of the big points that the working group two makes is that everything's happening decades and decades sooner than was ever anticipated. Um, things are worse, for example. The research is now worse than the research for 1.5 degrees C report in 2018. And heavens, that was, uh, that was bad enough. The situation with the feedbacks, um, and it's definite, and it's not been uh, put out. I don't think people are aware of this, both in the Working Group One report, but also in the Global Carbon Project, that is the authoritative source of all things CO2. It comes out every year. Both of these reports said, and I stress the Working Group One, that the land carbon sink has started to fail um, uh, if we don't have any emergency response. Of course, it's just going to fail more and more and more. It will weaken. So we will still be absorbing more CO2 by the forest, but it will be less and less and less and less. And the IPCC actually had a very good diagram, which showed that very well, very graphically. So as the absorption of CO2 gets less and less and less, there's more and more and more CO2 left in the atmosphere. And because, and, and, um, I really have to point this out. I mean, this wasn't in the assessment, and, and that's no mistake. But everything, of course, depends on uh, what we do, right? Everything, whether there's any future at all, depends on what we do. We, now, we know that for sure. If we continue emitting any greenhouse gases for any amount of time, we're done for. We've finished ourselves, and we're taking down all of life with us. I want to stress the acceleration that comes out in this report. 
everything isn't just increasing. It's increasing faster. I've made the two quotes already. All of the impacts are coming at us faster and faster. Everything is getting worse faster. Now, of course, nobody wants to face this, right? But if we want to give all the children in the world any hope at all, we are all going to face it. And let me just add add one thing to this, uh, which is this as as alarming, apocalyptic, whatever word you want to use this report is, it's actually quite mitigated from what a lot of scientists wanted this report to be because there's 67 countries have to sign off on this report and they negotiate every word that's in it. And all the fossil fuel producing countries do everything they can to, to mitigate the language. But in spite of that, this report is so alarming. Yeah, there was a fight. We know. We know there was a fight between the scientists and the, um, and the governments, right? And it was intense. However, the language, as I say, the impacts um, got through. Um, uh, they have, for example, the world is going to have unavoidable multiple climate hazards and impacts over the next two de decades. Um, everything's going to get worse and worse and worse for the next two decades, even temporarily. And this is how, actually, this is the, I guess it's the clever way in which they got in. That you see the, the governments want, don't want anybody to know that they have lost 1.5 degrees C for us. Right? So um, their, their whole agenda is, is to keep us um, in believing that this 1.5 degrees C disastrous danger limit is still um, in reach. Well, it's not. It's not. The planet will be a disastrous planet. Totally different, even from today, let alone different from the planet that I've been growing up on, this wonderful, glorious, you know. Um, uh, no, we've, we, I mean, decades ago, <laughs> environmentalists were writing books about uh, we've got to stop trashing the planet. You'll remember that, right? Well, we didn't stop. Um, uh, we just pushed harder and harder and harder. Um, and that's our economy, of course, that pushed harder and harder and harder. And it's the fossil-fueled economy. The reason why the economy is fossil-fueled is the fossil fuels still make the maximum amount of money uh, for the people that have the money. Uh, the, 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 the denial amongst the people that have the money is really, uh, it's, it's, a, it's unbelievable in a way because their own system is going to be in such chaos. Yeah, you can make a certain money, amount of money out of volatility, but not a, if they thought they had global supply chain problems during the pandemic, they ain't seen nothing yet. But when the IPCC report came out, the stock market completely ignored it. It didn't have any, it didn't tick a, down a hair because of the IPCC report. There was some volatility down and then up again and then down again over Ukraine. But there was no response on the IPCC. Uh, if anything, because, the, uh, because of Ukraine, the cost of oil, price of oil has gone way up. Yeah. So have the stocks of energy companies gone up. So even though the IPCC is telling us it's precisely the product from these companies that's going to destroy life as we know it. 
they're actually doing, they're smiling from ear to ear right now because oil's over a hundred bucks a barrel. Okay. Um, interestingly, um, uh, and I was surprised that Working Group Work 2 did have something on the economists that it's uh, on the economy. And it said for the first time in an IPCC report, the economy is going to lose. It's the first time the IPCC has ever said that. We will be driving the world economy down. Um, really, how, however it's powered. Uh, I mean, there's no future for us with any fossil fuels. We've known that for 20 years at least. The only future that we have is a 100% clean energy, renewable energy, which is everlasting energy, um, zero carbon energy. That, that, that's the only future we have. I mean, I've been saying that for years and years and years and years. We don't have a future with any fossil fuels because they, um, uh, they source CO2. CO2 lasts in the atmosphere forever, practically, heating up the planet, heating the oceans, um, all the extreme weather events, and acidifying, acidifying the oceans. The oceans are in a state of collapse today, right? And to go back to the um, carbon sinks, um, uh, the land carbon sink has reduced by 15%. That's huge. The ocean carbon sink has reduced by 5%. That's massive. Massive. So in the Hot House Earth paper, I was very interested, as I say, to find that the largest feedback in their many feedbacks was actually um, uh, the loss and inefficiencies, loss of efficiencies of, of the carbon sinks. So I, I had to think about that one, but yeah, yeah, it, it makes total sense. I mean, it's absolutely huge because it's taking all the CO2 that we're still emitting, okay? And it's actually then adding to that, adding to that. The Arctic, uh, you know, we've always been, uh, we environmentalists have always been worried, terrified. Uh, about the uh, multiple Arctic feedbacks. And the Arctic uh, has switched from a carbon sink to a carbon source. So that's happened. Uh, and that's due to the amount of methane and CO2, um, you know, that the Arctic's putting out. Um, this is, a, this, as I say, is a very, very powerful report. It says that increased um, uh, extreme weather events like increased heat waves, droughts, and floods, they are already exceeding the plants and animals' tolerance threshold. That's driving, as they say, mass mortalities of forests and corals, etc. We are in an absolutely disastrous state right now. Life is disappearing all around us. Ecosystems are collapsing all around us. And this report is very, very strong on uh, the collapse of ecosystems. And um, I mean, how, 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 can I, how can I put it quickly? Well, it's the world economy, right? So the world economy, we, we've entered a completely new phase of planet Earth and, and humanity. And we've entered the, the age of climate change, disaster and catastrophes, right? We are having disasters and catastrophes this IPCC working group once said there will be many, many impacts, massive impacts, which when we get above 1.5 degrees C are irreversible, irreversible, right? Point of no return, as we've been calling. So, um, uh, and 
the big thing, um, uh, I was kind of happy because I made a YouTube which got a lot of attention to this. Um, billions of people, the lives of billions of people are going to be wrecked. Um, uh, they give a number. Um, can't remember what it is now, but but it but it's um, oh, it's between two and three billion people. Um, that's what we're looking at at one point five and above. Now, of course, um, sea level rise. I mean, that's accelerating, right? Accelerating. Every research paper we get finds that sea level rise is accelerating faster than one foot. So um, that's irreversible. Totally irreversible. So today's children are going to. Okay, so let, let's 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 jump here. So why are we going on about this again? Because while this report has pushed the urgency even further, we already knew how urgent this was. Right. So we're, we're we're talking about this because it's it constantly gets negated to the back burner. Uh, in terms of mass media, it constantly gets. Uh, if if at all paid attention to, it's a day or two here or there, and then move on to some domestic political story um, in every country pretty well. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the, the, uh, the lack of any sense of urgency within the elites is the, the, the level of denial is just profound. You, from outright climate denial, which 75 million P Americans voted for a president with outright climate denial. Yeah. But now there's a president who doesn't deny it in language, but in terms of actual policy, it comes almost close to effective denial. And now it amounts to complete denial because the Congress is so completely paralyzed. A Canadian prime minister who, who loves to posture, but because Canada is such a fossil fuel produ producing country itself, you don't see any actual effective policy that in any way reflects the level of urgency. I had a, a, a woman running for provincial government for the Liberal Party knock on my door, because I'm in Toronto now. I go back and forth between the US oh, okay. and, uh, and Canada, and right now I'm in Toronto. Uh, and so she voted, she, uh, she knocked on my door and she wants my vote in the Ontario provincial election. And I said, you know, I don't care what party you're from, and I, I couldn't care less about parties at all. I never much did, but I now I never, not even a whit. I said, only one thing, what is your climate policy? What do you actually stand for? Because I know your party doesn't have much of anything, but do you have something more? And of course she didn't. A little bit of uh, uh, carbon taxing, and she wants a lower carbon economy, she says in her uh, pamphlet. I mean, so now let's talk a bit about what, what can, what, what do we do? Well, yeah, no, 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 no. Everybody, this is this is very frustrating to me. Everybody's talking about a lower carbon economy. Uh, a lower carbon economy is 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 the end of the world, right? We have to have a zero combustion economy. We 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 have um, uh, four hundred seventeen parts per million of CO two now. Um, five hundred five CO two equivalent. So this is higher than uh, CO2 has been in 23 million years. CO2 today is increasing faster than it has in the past 40 million years. Well, if this isn't insane, okay, because the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is the heat in the planet, is the acidification in the ocean, 
right? So as this amount is going up, the heat in the ocean, the heat on the surface, the heat waves, the uh, floods, the droughts, okay, are all bound to increase. So every amount of CO2 and other greenhouse gases, because of course now we know that the fossil fuel industry uh, releases a huge amount of methane, and I've done some mapping on that recently, um, it was absolutely horrendous to see. When, um, uh, when we had the pause in um, you know, the economy with the COVID, and we had a sudden decrease of seven or eight percent of the uh, emissions. Um, uh, um, everybody advised the governments, right? Um, and this is where governments are—I mean, they're villains. They're, they're, this is evil what they did, because they poured money into the fossil fuel economy. They poured more money into the fossil fuel economy than they did into the clean energy economy, right? And it doesn't actually matter how much clean energy we have, right? If we don't stop adding fossil fuels and adding CO2 and adding huge amounts of methane, I gotta say it again, we're done for, right? Um, it's a dead end, right? This is, we are looking at a dead end. Well, I'll make, I'll make, I'll make a proposal. Here, here's a proposal, but I, I, nobody's gonna listen to me. I mean, I'm not nobody, if the people that watch the analysis, but not many more, which ain't enough. Number one, there is no solution to the climate crisis without, at the most profound level, a cooperation of the United States, China, and Russia. It ain't happening. There has to be a concerted effort on the part of the entire West to help Russia transition away from fossil fuel. You can't expect Russia or any of the other countries that are so uh, dependent on fossil fuel to transition without some support from the rest of the world. So there has to be, you know, the, this whole NATO thing is such BS because it's all about a pissing match. Everyone knows Ukraine's not getting into NATO, but the Americans won't admit that and insist on Ukraine's right to be in NATO and over the right to be in something they ne will never be allowed into. But you can't give up the prestige and geopolitical positioning of acknowledging that. You have to get into this kind of confrontation instead of laying out the absolute crisis we're in with climate and talking about how to assist all the fossil fuel countries. And then domestically, fossil fuel workers have to be promised a just transition out of the fossil fuel industry. It means their incomes have to be supported. There, a massive increase in the uh, sustainable energy necessarily means tremendous cooperation with China, which is way ahead of everybody on the production of solar and uh, wind, and also do what you know do what's necessary to help China get off coal. Although hopefully they're headed there, but I don't know the real answer to that. Uh, yeah, a global war footing in the sense, like look what the West could do to Russia in a matter of days in terms of the banking system and restructuring all the economic relationships. And all of a sudden, Europe it can give up on natural gas from Russia and talk about, oh, we're going to bring in liquefied natural gas in a matter of like months they think they can transition. Well, if you have that mentality for such shitty reasons... 
we need that mentality to save life as we know it. But but uh, we're, we're, Paul, we're yeah. living where what you're describing. We're, we're living in the asylum, really. Okay, I mean, this is all absolute yeah. insanity, right? All of the militaries, um, uh, you know, NATO, uh, Putin, right? It's completely and absolutely insane. It's insane by itself, right? NATO and the war machine and, and Russia and China, you know. I mean, you, you've seen these unbelievable weapons, right, being built up by the United States, by Russia, and by China, and they're all they're all competing, and they're all saying, "Oh, look, we've we've got better destructive weapons, right?" So you're absolutely right. Without uh, establishment of a cooperative world peace and demilitarization, right, because you're not going to have cooperation until you get people to agree to demilitarization and then which 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 necessarily means at least in in most of these countries and not all uh but in the u.s and canada at least a nationalization of the arms manufacturers i mean it's not like state ownership of arms manufacturers in and of itself is some solution most of the arms manufacturers in russia and china are state-owned uh but with a certain private components so the oligarchs and billionaires certainly get their hand on it but but in the US and Canada I think it'd be quite significant if you would ha have a nationalization so at least take the profit motive out of oh, and then, foreign then, then policy of course you could reduce instead of be competing and increasing your armaments all, all the time so but why should some people why should working class kids go die in wars and and rich people get rich in wars well, looking, I mean, it's an, we it's, are looking at the lives of every child in the world today right and right now all plans are to continue, right, to burn more and more fossil fuels. And this was even before Putin, Putin, sorry, this is even before Putin did his horrible military exercise. And it's going to be way worse now, right? Um, we are, and, and people have to hear this, right? We are wrecking the lives of every child, every child. They're going to be growing up very quickly into a world in fast decline, a world that's falling apart, and they will be struggling to survive. Actually, the um, uh, head negotiator of the EU at the failed Glasgow agreement, um, uh, he, he, he was great because he, and he got the media to see it. He got a smartphone out put his daughter on the picture, and he said, if we don't get an agreement here, my daughter is going to be struggling to eat. Now, that's what he said. It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I've got, I, I got nine-year-old twins. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'm, in all seriousness, we're, we're going to learn how to fish. In all seriousness, I'm expecting by the time they're adults, you know, 20 and then 30 years, uh, they're going to have to figure out some place to live in the countryside, fish, grow some food. And I don't know how long that lists. We're just last. I mean, we're lucky we're in Canada yeah. and there's areas of Canada for longer period of time. Uh, it will be a little more livable. But as I said to, uh, I, I said to, 
the science, climate scientist I interviewed last time, I was saying, you know, in some parts of Canada, people are joking, well, it can't be so bad. We'll be growing mangoes. And he said, sure, that's a great idea, except where's your water going to come from when there's no snow? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, um, I, I, I'm, as I say, this report was very good on food security. We've lost it, right? We've lost our food security. Now, don't misunderstand me. We're still able to produce more and more and more food, right? But food security for the future, we've lost it. And when I say we've lost it, we've lost it because we have decided to keep on burning fossil fuels. People have to make the connection of what continued burning of fossil fuels means for the future. Because from now on, the science is definite, right? Every year that we burn fossil fuels, we're wrecking the future more. So let working me just say to end, because we're getting near the end of the time here. This working group two, sorry, this working group two said irreversible. Irreversible has been a sort of taboo word uh, for decades in the IPCC because the policymakers, but they had all these strong language in this report and that the changes to the planet and to the human population and, and their, their natural resources would be irreversible. Well, what do, you, what do you say to a lot of the environmental movement that doesn't want to really talk about how urgent, how dangerous, and doesn't want to use words like irreversible? Because they say it, it paralyzes people, it makes them too pessimistic, and they won't do anything. Well, I mean, I've, I've had this for decades. And, and uh, you know, I, I've been a physician all my life, worked in emergency medicine all my life. And long ago, I mean, I gave up. Long ago, I had to try and argue with the climate scientists and to the um, uh, um, executives of the NGOs because I would mention the risk to food security, the risk of uh, methane, and we really didn't think about CO2. Uh, in those days, the risk of uh, methane in the Arctic and the vast feedback. And they would interrupt me and they would say, Peter, no, 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 no. You can't mention we can't mention those things and they say either some people say this said the psychologists tell us we can't do that because then everybody will will absolutely clamp down into despair and they'll do nothing and some of them said um uh, the um uh, the sociologists told us that we can't say that right and and i've had a leading climate expert who's a very good climate expert and in a in a in a public uh, a public conference tell me that I couldn't mention methane in the Arctic. That's what he told me. I had to, I'm sitting on the panel and I have to argue with this man, right? You know, um, uh, it, you know, Paul, nothing has upset me more than that because that is such an insult to the human race, such an insult to humanity. You know, I, I mean, yeah, we have our evil times and we're going through an evil time right now but but the individual human is is phenomenal right we and it's happening it's happening every day in the ukraine we are prepared to sacrifice our very lives right for an individual who's drowning at sea or something like that right or or, or for our future community we'll sacrifice any everything that's who we are and it absolutely annoyed me so intensely of these um, so-called experts 
saying, well, the one thing you can't do is tell people the truth. Right. The I, I, I get into these arguments all the time with uh, some of the climate movement. They say, well, just focus on like pollution and, and just tell people how it's going to affect their drinking water. Because if it's if you talk about these bigger questions, it's too abstract. I, I, people are not fools. My God. No, they're not. No, they're not. And of course, we had the recent report, um, a shocking report by the Lancet Journal in the UK on the young people and uh they are in despair right not yeah because they actually are getting the bigger picture what they're facing and what's making it worse is that people aren't telling them people aren't telling them so people aren't talking with them about this um you're you're right about the cooperation Uh, and and it's no good people saying in this context oh well world peace that's a joke right because we don't have world peace as you indicate, right, then we've done ourselves in, right? You know, um, the African nations um, back in the uh, Cancun summit, you know, they had this uh, big walkout on 1.5 degrees C at that time because they said, you're keeping us on 2 degrees C and and we're not going to survive that. We literally can't survive that. And it took years and years and years to get back to 1.5 degrees. Well, let me, let me come out and say what I think is the real fundamental issue here, which is there is no way we humans get out of this without a certain amount of planned economy, social ownership, starting with fossil fuel companies. Uh, Bob Poland, who I interview a lot, The Economist, he talks about now's the time. If you don't nationalize fossil fuel... How do you deal with this? All things that are on the road to socialistic economies. And of course, that is the, you know, it's like, it's like in the same way with nuclear war strategy um, over Taiwan or now over Ukraine, NATO and the West would rather risk nuclear war than look weak. It's the same thing. If, if they don't want to give an inch to something that looks like it may head in the direction of socialism, even if it means the end of the organized human society. Yeah, but on the economics and um, uh, um, no, I, I, I agree with those ideas because then the people have a certain amount of control over, you know, what's going to happen today and tomorrow, which which they don't today. Right. And they know that. Um, uh, but um, there still is is no campaign to stop our governments giving fossil fuel subsidies to the fossil fuel industry, right? The fossil fuel subsidies over the past few years, according to the International Energy Agency that does a great job tracking it, have actually increased. And we know from the IMF, no less, we know that if you take all the benefits that our governments are giving to the fossil fuel industry, to keep the fossil fuel industry going, to keep us dependent on the fossil fuels, which is literally like being dependent on cocaine and heroin and God knows all at once because you're going to die with this kind of dependency. Um, the IMF told us in 2015 first, first that it was the total was um, $5.3 trillion. Our governments are giving these fossil fuel corporations are money to a massive extent in order that they can continue killing us. 
And when I say okay, just just finally, um, I th it seems that a lot of the elites, and and because of that, a lot of the media, and because of that, a lot of ordinary people. They somehow think there's going to be some magic technological solution here. I shouldn't say magic because they think there's going to be some kind of carbon cleaning technological solution. They point to there's, there are some experiments that seem to be working on very, very small scales uh, of some carbon cleaning out of the air. Uh, of course, Gates and others are talking about going small nuclear as a way to quickly get to sustainable energy that you can't do it fast enough with solar and wind. Uh, just qu quickly, I know that's a whole nother topic I'm opening here, but in about in three, four minutes, what's your take? I mean, is there a, a technological fix or at the very least is some kind of geoengineering at least part of the solution? Well, I... I, I don't think the the um, I, I think the public has been so confused and, and flummoxed about all this that I don't think they're aware that um, uh, these proposals are out there, and the proposals are from the scientists, they're not from the public, and they've always been from the scientists, right? The plan of stratospheric aerosol cooling goes back decades, and. Um, it's it's um it's science fiction and it's science idiocy, but there's a lot of it. Believe me, within the science, I, I, you know, I present at the um, American Geophysical Union, the, the EGU, the big conferences. There's a lot of geoengineering. Now, geoengineering is absolutely and completely insane, right? I, I mean, it is insanity upon insanity, right? Um, sure, you can geoengineer, you can you can cool the planet, like they say, okay? But what kind of world is that? Well, it's a world in which the fossil fuel industry will still be turning out CO2. I mean, let's be realistic about this, right? So it's another delay, and they've delayed 30 years already, and we are in this state in which everything is going down. Um, uh, and ocean acidification will carry on increasing. An ocean acidification alone can destroy this living planet. It's happened in the past. It's not like we don't know. Um, so uh, there's no solution without all the things that you've mentioned and we've talked about, Paul. But also now there's no solution without a technological solution, right, to rapidly be able to get off fossil fuels 100% and onto uh, uh, onto energy dense power. We need a different source of power, which we don't have yet. And fission does it. So I'm, I don't disagree with Bill Gates on that. Okay. Um, closing the uh, nuclear plants is pretty crazy. Um, Germany's doing it and Germany's emissions um, went up by a very large amount. They're not even going to come close to their own uh, paltry targets. But uh, we're in a situation where we don't actually have anything that's going to work. Uh, the answer to that is to do a Manhattan Project. Uh, that will require a certain amount of cooperation, but maybe not complete cooperation, okay? Because we are not, not going to prevent the absolute collapse of the biosphere unless we come up with something new. Right. Um, there are ideas out there, you know, then they're good ideas. And if we poured money and resources to them, 
maybe we'd have a chance. But Paul, that's what we're looking at. Maybe we'll have a chance, right? That's what we're looking at today. Um, like um, Patricia Espinosa said in Glasgow, you know, um, if the if the Glasgow conference doesn't come out, out with um, binding, you know, strong uh, plans, you know, uh, on emissions, she said, uh, we face a bleak and dismal future. Well, here we are today. We're facing a very, very bleak and dismal future um, uh, for our children. That's what we're facing. So if we love our children, and we do, or we claim that we do, okay, if we love our children, we are going to get involved in this um, horrendous, um, hugest challenge threat to uh, our species that we've ever had, right? And, um, you know, not looking at it because we're a bit uncomfortable because we're doing it, you know, um, that, 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 that's absolutely ridiculous. That's indefensible. It's unconscionable. So yeah, we 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 um, there's a uh, there's a process which um, uh, using electrolysis might be able to uh, pull CO2 out of the oceans, right? And and the um, you know the, the the people that are working on this idea point out that uh, I mean the oceans got most of the CO2 uh, and the oceans water. So if if you want to pull CO2 out of somewhere, um, better work on the oceans, not the air. And if, because the more CO2 you pull out of the ocean, the more CO2 the oceans can pull out of the air. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, but of course, we need to do it all, right? That's why I say we need a Manhattan Project. We need to be able to... So, so the short of it is, and this is what I'm saying to the person knocking on my door, don't vote for anybody that doesn't have a serious climate program, that doesn't get the sense of urgency. And, and don't allow the uh, climate movement to be separated from the anti-war movement oh, and come together. Yeah. And, 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 and the, the urgency of this, there is simply nothing more important than what, what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, I got to wind this up for now, but let's talk about, we can dig into more specifics of this issue again soon. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Um, uh, um, it's nice to talk to somebody who's not only intelligent, but has some great creative ideas. We need a lot more of uh, what we're discussing, Paul. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I, I, I just hope we can, we need to build a bigger audience. Yeah, well, thank you. maybe we'll do it. <laughs> Goodbye. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. And again, don't forget the donate button and subscribe and share all, all the buttons.